I'm Charlie Rossiter, and this is Poetry Spoken Here. Our feature today is Cheryl Rice from Kingston, New York, a little town up along the Hudson River. She'll be telling us about a poetry event she created, the Sylvia Plath Bake Off, and she'll be reading her poems and talking about how her poetry has developed over the years. Then, I'll be telling you about a new reason to visit Chicago, Illinois. Yes, the American Writers Museum, a new museum on Michigan Avenue in the heart of downtown Chicago. I'm Charlie Rossiter, and this is Poetry Spoken Here. Our feature today is Cheryl Rice from Kingston, New York. Kingston's one of those little towns up the Hudson River, kind of in the vicinity of Woodstock. In fact, one of uh, Cheryl's accomplishments is uh, performing at the Woodstock Poetry Festival. And she's been a part of many other projects as well. Back in the 1990s, she instituted the Sylvia Plath Bake Off uh, poetry event. And she recently won the 2017 Steve Tobias Poetry Contest. She'll be telling us about that in just a moment. So Cheryl, I'm so glad you're here. Charlie, I'm so honored to be asked to be here. Well, I want to hear your poetry. I, I noticed from your resume that I interviewed you about 20 years ago for yep. a cable TV show out of Albany, New York. And so it's interesting to catch up. Uh, to start off with, say something about the Sylvia Plath Bake Off. That's different. Sylvia Plath Bake Off just started initially as a a theme for a party at my home. A friend of mine was an art teacher at Marist. He had a pair of mannequin legs. We stuck them in the oven with a with a pleated skirt and penny loafers. And that was the beginning. Uh, a few years later, I was running an open mic once a month in Kingston while I was actually living in Albany for the year I lived in Albany. Uh, I was running back and forth and looking for different themes every month to try to attract people's attention. and the Sylvia Plath Bake Off came back to me, and uh, that was the one we continued with after all the other themes and all. And I just, that evolved into a, a, a once a year, big, big, big event. And went on till like 2003, went on for about 10 years. Yeah, as, but, as that. but I but I hear that um, Betty Crocker was not pleased. Oh, it was actually Pillsbury. Oh, Pillsbury, Pils okay, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> Pillsbury apparently owns copyright to the phrase bake off they thought i was just running another baking contest they had no concept of satire or uh, irony or and they had no idea who sylvia plath was so um the gentleman who runs the air studio where i was doing it where i did it most often received a a mildly threatening letter from pillsbury lawyers with a pre-printed booklet about why using the phrase bake off was a half-baked idea that was their clever way of pre-threatening me. Um, I, so they had no, a reporter called them later from the local paper. They didn't know who Sylvia was. And we just, we tweaked the spelling a little bit. I dropped the E and added another F. So it was still technically bake off, but <laughs> we ignored all their letters and, and, and never heard from them anyway. So it was just a little bit of interest. It's always nice to know that corporate America is paying attention to the poetry scene. Oh, sure. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure they were. <laughs> <laughs> Even if they don't know anything about it. No, not a thing. Not a uh, thing. 
Well, well, you know, as mentioned, that was about 20 years ago, the last time I interviewed interviewed you. I've seen you a lot since then. But well, how, how do you think uh, your, your poetry today compares with then? Oh, that's a great question. Um, I've never had one theme in my poetry except me, me, me. Um, but part of the reason I don't do the Bake Off anymore is, is part of the changes in me. 20 years ago, I was 35 and single and and just knew so much more than Sylvia Plath or pretty much anybody. Um, I know so much less now so many years later. Um, humility, death, uh, finding a, a real partner instead of all the temporary ones I plowed through. Um, I know all that informs my work. Uh, um, maybe just I, I've seen a natural change. I don't know if it's a development, but a change in my work just has to be based on age and experience and uh, letting go of, you know, at one point I actually had the nerve to ask Sharon Olds, who I took a workshop from, how I could become a professional poet. Like she was a professional poet. She was a college professor. Okay. We all need a day job. And I'm finally at the point where I'm comfortable with a day job. Poetry is my passion, but it's not going to pay my mortgage. I don't even, I send things out to be published, but I would just as soon print poems up and, and just throw them up in the air and see who catches them. It's I can afford to do that at the moment, but it's you know it's a it's a passion. Passion's always going to develop on a natural progression if you keep it up. Yeah, and in a way, the poems are still well. They're about yourself and the issues that concern you, but those things change. Yes, yes. And so, so we see a, a development and change. Yeah. Well, how about uh, reading a poem? Okay. Uh, random. They're always random. This one was inspired. I, I work at the Omega Institute, and part of that was uh, sending me uh, with a couple other staff people to Costa Rica, where they do some uh, things during the winter. Uh, I heard a song on the radio in Costa Rica, and it made me think of somebody. And this is called Lady in Red. Clanking van, potholed highway, start of the dry season. Tico's already masked to keep out the dust as they walk or bike to work. The radio plays that song from the 70s, Lady in Red, a local station that caters to expats, keeps them company in the hot tropics, dreaming of home. I remember when you and I heard that song together on the phone, watching Miss America in our separate apartments, watching contestants flash their Vaseline smiles, all in red gowns. I don't remember if you thought one was prettier than another or where we were in the great cosmic loop that was and is our love. Were you between girlfriends again or calling on the sly? Was I home alone on my roommate's blue sofa waiting for another quirky outsider to attach himself to my hovering star? Now you glide in and out of my life like you're on a runway, impeccably groomed, just out of reach. Your smile a rhinestone in the runner-up's crown. Your turns are graceful, unpredictable. I let you re-enter each season. We set up the stage and you twirl, you sing, you charm the judge with your sad eyes. Sharp stars above Costa Rica keep urban romance alive, even in December. 
palm fronds rattling brittle ballads. The only red around here is the sunset and the hibiscus I float in my hair, no longer listening for your call to interrupt the broadcast, my heart no longer in the running for your affections. That's a poem from an experienced person. <laughs> Quite. <laughs> Do you uh, get to encounter, uh, let's say, well-known poets at Omega? They still do. Do they do poetry workshops occasionally? They do some. Um, you know, and I do have the opportunity to take workshops. But the the last few years, I, I sort of don't even have a head for workshops anymore. Mm -hmm. um, last year, I I worked with. Uh, um, oh gosh, March Piercy, mm -hmm. um, because I'm more oriented towards uh, working on a memoir. That's how old I am. But I have worked with Nick Flynn there, um, and I actually had the the chance to to work with. Um, oh gosh, Maria Maziati Gillen in oh, yeah. uh, New Jersey. Sure. Uh, well, she's perfect for memoir. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Her stuff is totally memoir, and and a lot of my work always has been. But I'm I'm really I'm writing a a prose memoir about my uh, first seven years here in the Hudson Valley. I grew up on Long Island, but I came here at 18 to go to college in New Paltz and uh, met my ex-husband and went through seven years of just. Um, it's a little old for a coming of age story, but I'm I'm looking to portray New Paltz in the 80s and. Um, somebody asserting herself and the reasons why I got into that situation and my method for getting out and yeah. parts of it that I guess I've carried with me. But um, at this point, I, I was even in a, a, a poetry workshop for years ago, Hill Poets, but I just want to write. I have so little time to write. If I can get out to a reading, I'm thrilled, but um, I'm not into the workshop thing at the moment. Let's do another poem. Okay. What, what poem would you like to do? I have a Sylvia Plath poem I pulled. I, I think it sounds very appropriate to have okay. a Sylvia Plath poem. Okay. Uh, she was an interesting person. She was, and we're learning more and more about her. Yeah. And as time goes on and papers are revealed and complicated, you know, I don't think it's cut and dried. Um, mm. Was was Ted abusive? That's coming out now. I, mm. I don't know. To live yeah. with her, it, it must have been uh, two poets in the same house. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds like a nightmare. They're both but, really uh, intense types. Yes. Yeah. Well, yeah. which is what brought them together and what, you know, made them blow apart. Yeah. Um, and plus her background. I, I just, I always wonder, you know, um, yeah. if she had survived, if she had been able to grow beyond that, what we would have ended up with, uh, what kind of work. But yeah, you have to be satisfied with the work that people leave. Yeah. So you can't uh, spend a whole lot of time what ifing. So, a Sylvia Plath poem. We made a trip to Cape Cod, my first trip to Cape Cod a couple of years ago. Mm. So I came up with this, Recovering Sylvia. And it starts with a quote from her. Uh, In the waters off beautiful Nauset, I used to pray to recover you. Nowhere near the water, on the main drag, Nauset Beach, Nauset Vacuums, Nauset Real Estate. We pour over maps lacking native advantage though no way so far proves wrong. We located the water out of season, beach busy, cool. I settle in, disregard damp shore, hair gone wild. My beloved hikes up the beach to another museum, lifesaver shack only for show. Hot belly stove once used to warm the dead, 
now leaden lure in the house of dust and tourists. The beach is alive, glittering infant muscles fringing the tide's edge, sandpipers darting, shuffling in to grab a morsel, retreating. No defense for their kind, but size and numbers. Blended rocks of black, yellow, white create the color we find in paint stores labeled sand. A gull, apart from the others, begins to step towards me. I frighten him off with a shout, broad arm wave, then regret it. Believe I could have taken him if it came down to it. Maybe make him reveal your current whereabouts. But I have to stumble on you. Strands of hair like curls of seaweed wavering in the cold water. Your lotus white face turned up to the sky. I had to find you myself among legends, classical tourists, debutantes. Your Pulitzer in one hand, dry paperback biography in the other, compass milled of rumors and unworthiness. Together we have already explored the shores of each other, investigated coves of shadow, abandoned piers, shells remaining of what was once plump prom promise. I need my own walk for now, time for us apart, but in this foreign cape, my beloved and I haven't managed it yet, anchored to tradition, the root of compliance we have come to expect from each other. Chemical tides have washed you away, Sylvia, your dilemma. Your true resting place is here, off beautiful Race Point, head of the meadow, Nauset, your long toes dipped in, retreating, small hands sheltering your child eyes, searching the horizon for your lost treasures, found again and again, lost as water returns to the greater body. Now that's that's one of the poems I say I'm glad we're recording because going back and hearing it again will be very worthwhile. There's a lot in there. It's yeah. uh, I was hoping to write more when I was in Cape Cod. That's pretty much the uh, only one that survived. Mm. All right. Oh, I don't, I don't want to forget. Uh, tell me about this contest that you uh, just won. Very nice. It's an annual oh. contest uh, put out by a guy in Albany, correct? Yeah, a guy in Albany, Bob Sharkey, who I do know from the Albany poetry scene. Um, mm -hmm. One of my favorite places to read poetry. Um, he's a recent retiree. Been a, a wonderful poet, popping up here and there. This is the second year of the uh, contest. He funds it himself. There is no entry fee. And... Uh, it's named after an acquaintance, a friend of his uh, that he lost in Vietnam. Uh, the mm. first prize, which I won this year, I was totally shocked, uh, was a decent amount of money. And I had to read the email three times to actually absorb the fact that I had won. I was, I was quite shocked. I think there were 142 entries. And uh, it, it, at this point, there's no publication. Maybe someday they'll do an anthology. But they are mm. having a reading on this Sunday. Uh, which is the date that I believe is May 30th. Oh, no, I'm sorry, May 7th. It's next Sunday, right? May 7th, uh, at the Town of Colony Library in Loudonville. Uh, I'll be reading. Most of the prize winners and finalists will be reading as well. Uh, and it's free and open to the public. Refreshments will be served. It's just such a nice deal all around. There are so many contests where you feel like you have to pay an arm and a leg to participate and you feel like the odds are so not in your favor. Uh, this one, although, uh, you know, somebody I knew locally and four judges, I still don't even know who the judges were. Um, but, you know, 142 participants from 
goodness knows where. I think they're from all over the place. Uh, I was just so pleased. It's it's just a nice thing, and uh, I'm so looking forward to the reading on uh, on May seventh yeah. up in uh, Loudonville. So, and you mentioned to me that the uh, first public reading of the poem should be at that uh, contest gathering okay. at the library. But but you could at least give us a, say something about what it's about, and maybe give us an excerpt, something like that. I was I was going to read an excerpt because. Um, even though yeah, I think yeah. I've read it here and there, um, since I was notified about the contest, uh, trying to be respectful about the whole situation, and uh, I've been kind of coy about playing it out. Um, so okay. the, the first full reading since the winning will be at that reading. Uh, however, I can I can read the the first stanza and talk mm -hmm. a little bit about it. Um, I was inspired by a visit with my great uncle in Florida. Uh, who's just turned 93 in February, um, and at the age of 19 enlisted with the Marines, uh, thinking he would get a better deal than if he waited to be drafted, and ended up in Peleliu and Okinawa and seeing some of the most horrific uh, mm. action that, I, that I'm sure has colored his whole life. Um, and and he's just in. He's always been so funny. He's always been. Such a, a I, you would never know. But the, of course, his is the generation that just in the last ten or fifteen years has has been more open about their wartime experiences and what it was really like. Uh, but at the time, taught to leave it all behind, but it, it doesn't get left behind. Um, so I'll just read the first stanza, and if you want to hear the rest, come out to the Town of Colony Library on uh, Sunday, May seven, one thirty p.m. is when we start. And it's free. Just come and listen to some excellent poetry, hopefully mine included. And it's called Your Service. Tatters of dinette chairs flap in the gulf breeze, like an island's backside, suburban bungalow pink with sun, private side of conches and radishes. Owner and occupant, survivor, outlives wife, sister, lives to tell the story again and again, of barbaric Japs on a Pacific island, two weeks mission drawn out over months, long beyond strategy, mired in rote maneuver, headless torsos, rotting wounded, military brass, losing interest. The old man, then 19, lost there whatever youth he had coming to him. He borrowed a watch from one of the corpses as a souvenir, then inherited it back when his mother died naturally of camels and a broken heart. All right. Well, thanks for that piece of it. And maybe some folks, more people will be out there to hear the rest. I hope so. That would be great. That would be great. When you're uh, writing now, you see you're, you're primarily focused on this memoir. Are you still writing poems? Always. And, okay. And yeah. I, sometimes you think you're not, and then you go check your files or you check your rec. Oh, there's another poem. It just, you, it does happen. Yeah. What do you uh, feel about the difference between writing prose and poetry? I mean, do you have any particular thoughts that came to you? Like, geez, what I'm doing this, when I'm doing this prose, it's not like a poem. It's, mm, I don't know. Just wondering. I don't have an answer. It, they are definitely different. And um, I did some journalism work and I've always been a writer um, what ideas turn into poems and what ideas turn into prose. Uh, maybe I have more to say in prose. 
Um, maybe poetry. Poetry is very concentrated, and it's. I, I do think it's a different language. Um, that that brevity of it, which is why I have a problem with that that prose poem category. I don't know what the hell that is. It's not poetry. It's not. Is it somebody who's too lazy to write a full prose piece, or they don't want to take the time to bring the art to a poem to make it different than prose? I. I I think there is an art. I hear a lot of poetry sometimes that's really just just exposition. Just it could as easily be be prose, and I think that that can go the one step, and you have to bring art to it to really call it a poem. I know that poems can be the lines can be any length. Um, you are the goddess of your poem, but uh, which was Laura Boss, uh, uh, but. It's it's a different. They are two different things. And uh, poetry, I, I, one doesn't take more effort than the other. They're they're two different languages. Yeah, definitely, I agree with that. Yeah, I do find being more familiar with poetry. I find poetry more. Uh, I find it easier to do if we're talking about writing short stories and that kind of thing. Uh, mm -hmm. Poetry seems definitely, like I said, like that. Like you said, that focused, that artistic focused statement is just so appealing. Oh, I can't write a short story. My short stories stink. I can't. I can't lie because poetry for me is never a lie either, uh, and my prose is always nonfiction. I can't make stories up very well. I've tried. Um, it's not a. I'm not comfortable in fiction, uh, which is why memoir is working for me. Even so, I, I still want it to dance. If poems are shorter and and it is more of a dance. Um, but the memoir has been taking a while, and uh, I, I'm not even at a point where I feel like it's a, it's a readable manuscript because of my I'm so committed to telling the truth. And memoir is truthful, but it is definitely a point of view. So um, it's a different thing. But fiction, no, my fiction is for Kafka. It's just let it go. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, well, let's get in one more poem here. Um, Pick something you'd like to let us okay. hear. Let's get a good sampling. Well, here's one that was inspired by the events of last November 9th. Um, oh, yes. <laughs> oh, yes. Inspired a lot of poems, I think. <laughs> a day that will live in infamy. Yeah. I tried to make it hopeful, too. I mean, we still have to live here and, and, and now. And I, it actually was a wake-up call. It was... we. I know I was way too complacent, uh, even though things haven't been perfect. Um, but it's it's shaken, it's shaken a lot of people. But this is called Next Eight Years. I'll be 55 next month. In eight more years, I'll be of legal age to retire if I hit the lotto. I will not allow the antics of 45 to ruin these next eight years of work, of art, of major organs poised for minor failure. Nor will I refer to him by any of the clever names the media has concocted. Cheeto in chief, orange monster. He will not be named at all in my house. No flag, no celebration at his ascent. A name that would be as fire on the tongue, unworthy of praise or energy to demonize at, any, at every turn. In the Bible book, God asks Adam to name the animals. Even with all his work, they aren't complete until Adam labels them. 
Even the earth is unfinished until God makes a light to show off all the working parts. In my house, 45 will never be complete. In my lucky house, two sound white people, intelligent, working for now, we have the luxury of leaving 45 in the dark, his name missing from our personal headlines, private conversations over regular dinners in well-heated bedrooms. Presidents come and go, all colors. Is it, the, it is the woman down the block I'm concerned with today. Can she read? Where does she sleep? Will her body be as safe as mine for the next eight years? How can I help? Oh, yeah, you come, it comes down strong. That last, yeah, that's, that's really good. Well, that's what, that, it's got to be personal. So much is out of our control. Everything's yeah. out of our control, pretty much. We can vote. We can go to city, city council meetings, which are almost beyond, beyond any kind of effect. But uh, I can, I can go see if somebody's hungry. Uh, I just started getting involved in literacy tutoring. Um, I rejoined the ACLU. That's helpful too. Yeah. Um, but uh, if we, if everybody does what they can on their block, that's going to add up to blocks and cities and states of uh, more positive action. Uh, and that's what I mean by being complacent. There's no way I shouldn't have been tutoring people the last 30 years of my life. And for one excuse or another, I just never got involved. So this is something I, I do want to get involved in. It's something I can do. All right. That's a great note to end on. A good point. And it brings out, once again, the yin and yang of everything of November 9th. There's a lot, probably a lot of other people who are doing just the kind of things you're talking about, you know, getting more involved and uh, creating positive outcomes, positivity as much as possible. I hope so. I hope so. Yeah. So I'm Charlie Rossiter, and we have been talking with Cheryl Rice from Kingston, New York. Charlie, thank you so much for the time and for letting me uh, read some poetry. spoken here. We've just heard from Cheryl Rice from Kingston, New York. And now I'd like to tell you about a new museum of interest to anyone who cares about poetry or writing of any sort. The American Writers Museum in Chicago, Illinois, open as of May 16, 2017. Located at 180 North Michigan Avenue, just a bit north of Millennium Park, right in downtown Chicago. According to their mission statement, they are going to engage the public in celebrating American writers and explore their influence on our history, our identity, our culture, and our daily lives. Here's a sample of the permanent exhibits that you'll see if you go visiting there. One called American Voices presents a hundred authors who wrote over 400 years through writer excerpts, criticism, and images. It's a 60-foot-long, multi-layered exhibit wall that takes visitors on a journey through the literary history of the United States, traces the development of the American voice through the hundred influential authors. In another exhibit, interactive kiosks let visitors discover American authors who have lived and worked near them. In a place called Wordplay, there are interactive consoles that offer multiple games to encourage visitors to experiment with words. They can explore famous authors. 
the importance of word choice and phrasing, and the invention of new words. There's also a Chicago section and a children's literature section. I found it particularly interesting, the two temporary exhibits that will be there when the museum first opens. One is called Palm, and some artists have been commissioned to undertake an installation that makes the analogy between gardening of the sort that W.S. Merwin undertook on his land in Maui and writing. For Merwin, both activities were infused with a spirit of contemplation and awareness shaped by his practice of Zen Buddhism. It's the museum's first commissioned artwork and was made possible by the Poetry Foundation and the Merwin Conservancy. And the photo on the website shows a room that you walk into that has rather like a conservatory. The, uh, when I called the museum, they told me there are some palm trees right there in the exhibit. The second temporary exhibit, Kerouac's On the Road Scroll Manuscript. Most, most writers at least know that Jack Kerouac typed On the Road on a single long scroll of paper. It's a 120-foot-long sheet of paper. He did that so he wouldn't have to stop and insert new sheets while he manically typed the novel from notes he'd accumulated over years of traveling the country. The legendary scroll has been exhibited a bit in recent years, and with the new museum, it's once again on display. It will be on display until October 27. The uh, Palm exhibit will be also open until early October. Finally, there's an affiliates program I want to mention because affiliates of this Writers Museum are homes of authors and museums that celebrate the works of individual writers and groups of American writers. There's a list on the website, and so it's easy to find these places, which could be a great help if you're planning a road trip. It's a long list, goes from Louisa May Alcott down to Thomas Wolfe. Includes the Beat Museum in San Francisco, Merwin's Conservancy in Hawaii, and the Hemingway Foundation in Oak Park, Illinois. And I don't know, maybe 30, 40, or 50 more. The museum's treasurer, Jay Hammer, points out in an article for the Harvard Business Review that it's a particularly good time to remember. The United States was established as an idea. It was explicitly argued about in speeches and articles and eventually given form by written documents that stated its values. And since then, he goes on, generations of writers, whether they be poets, novelists, speechwriters, journalists, have embellished and shaped what America means, what it means to be American. Understanding our writing is one way to understand what America is and can be in the future. Funding for the museum came from both public and private sources, including a grant from the National Endowment for the Humanities. They certainly deserve a plug again in these uh, fiscally trying times. I also want to mention that when I called the museum with a question about the Merwin exhibit, the phone was answered in two rings by a real human being. I'm Charlie Rossiter, and this has been Poetry Spoken Here. Thanks so much for listening. We hope you join us again next time to let poetry speak to you. You've been listening to Poetry Spoken Here. I'm Charlie Rossiter, inviting you to join us again next time to let poetry speak to you. Music for today's program was written and performed by Jack Rossiter-Mundley. And remember, Poetry Spoken Here is more than a podcast. You can like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash poetryspokenhere. Follow us on Twitter at twitter.com slash 
Poetry Spoken Here. For more about today's show and other Poetry Spoken Here podcasts, as well as our blog, just visit our website, poetryspokenhere.com. If you'd like to submit suggestions of poets or topics for future podcasts, you can send to our email address, poetryspokenhere at gmail.com. 